Drew, guess what? Uh, ch- chicken butt? <laughs> no, oh. no, but I appreciate you dusting off the classics. <laughs> um, Kid, Kid Rock saw a shadow today, so you know what that means. Six more weeks of fireworks, Drew. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's... I mean... Here we are... <laughs> it, 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 it's July 3rd. I'll allow it, you know, like yeah, today, just, it, tomorrow, yeah. but past that, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're recording. It's Friday night, July 3rd. Um, fireworks are going off all over the place, and that's fine. This is the weekend for that. Knock yourself out. Make sure you got all your fingers and toes at the end of it. You know, it, these, it, but just keep in mind again, there, there are three things that are not very welcome to fireworks for, you know, for pets, dogs specifically, not all of them enjoy fireworks. Um, veterans who may suffer from PTSD don't enjoy fireworks. And Drew, lest we forget, uh, GI Joe figures all around, uh, <laughs> shudder, shudder every time they hear a firecracker. Um, if they had sadistic uh, Sid-like owners, yes, that that's true. Very true. I, I may or may not have shoved a firecracker in between the waists of a couple, couple Joes. You, you sick, time. sick man. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, here we are, back again. New week, new episode. <sighs> uh, getting back on track with a recap. Um, a true. How have your weeks been, sir? Uh, in the words of Luke Skywalker, same as always. <laughs> that bad, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's it's fine. Everything's okay. Just uh, same old, same old. Um, not a lot to report, to be honest with you. Um, hanging in there as best I can. That's yep. all, all we yep. can hope for. We had a nice day today. Um, drove out to uh, Chautauqua and uh, hit up a small small beach with uh, with the family. Um, yeah. Made sure to keep my distance from everybody, and which you know everyone was respectful of, and that was it. Was nice. It was good. Good. Good day at the beach. And keeping distance from everyone, including your family. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> Them aside. <laughs> yeah. no, it, it, no, it was good. Just a good uh, getaway day. And uh, came home, made pizza, um, and uh, watched, um, finished watching the requisite uh, film of the evening. So um, that's that's really about it. Not, not much to report on, to be honest with you, otherwise. Uh, I mean, that's the times we live in now. I haven't, it's not like I've gone anywhere. It's not like I've done anything too exciting so yeah. yeah how were uh how were people at the beach were they being cool or were they you know yeah social like, dis- yeah yeah like i said uh, everybody just keeping their keeping their distance sticking to themselves i, I felt bad because grant wanted to play with some other kids and i kind of had to pull him away and you know it, it, it was fine though he's become kind of, you know, he's a very social kid and uh th- this is all weird i don't want to teach him to be so fearful of strangers you know but at the same time yeah. it's just where we're at right now unfortunately so Hope, yeah. hopefully uh you know once he gets to be at a more impressionable age everything will be back to 
back to normal somewhat and you know life will go on but for now it's a little weird yeah we'll get there i mean probably a little longer than we had hoped well in america yeah certainly yes (laughs) yeah america Uh we're we're just having one big national mood swing after another aren't we well when your national identity is basically screw you um i it's only about me uh yeah it's it's gonna be rough yeah yeah so anyway good times cool so how are you i'm sorry what'd you say i said how are you i'm doing doing all right um yeah i don't think like i've been organizing the office the game shelves and whatnot yeah i got i got another uh set of shelves in and i accidentally it's funny because i got the one set of shelves i sent you guys that picture then i got the second set of shelves same exact set i put it together backwards oh so and by the time I realized I put it together backwards, fortunately it wasn't backwards in a way that it would not function as shelves. Uh-huh. But there are some support struts that are not in it so right it's now. Not quite as sturdy as you would like. It's it's not quite as sturdy, but it's not dangerously unsturdy. That's fair. So I'm gonna get like some brackets to screw into the wall to hold the shelves in place. Uh, just to kind of pin them back, make them flush against the wall. So it'll be nice. It'll be nice. So did that. Uh, Williams, Ben William, doing <laughs> his thing. Yeah. Joy- joyful, joyful little handful he is. That's that's being that, that's being kind. Have kids, they said. It'll be fun, <laughs> they said. I love my son. <laughs> I love my son. I love my son. Uh-huh. Whatever oh, helps you sleep man. at night. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. Yep. Anyway. Um, what else did I... I watched... I watched the animated Dark Knight Returns mm. again, which mm-hmm. we're going to get into in a bit. Um, what else did I do? I watched something else. I was like, finally. Oh, I had, a, I had a fun parent moment today, actually. Like, all sarcasm aside, whatnot. So, Julie went out for Starbucks and she took William with her. So, I got uh, some some time myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm beat. I just want to lay down and put something on that I can drift in and out of paying attention to. And I remembered, oh, wait, Mask of Phantasm is on Netflix. Yeah. So I threw that thing on. Now, when William was younger, when he was like, you know, when he was starting to recognize things, one of the first things he recognized and really enjoyed was Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, I started showing him the Batman the Animated Series. Now, this may have been a slight parenting faux pas, Parenting oh. mistake, mistake, if you will. Why? Because he started, he started having nightmares. Oh. Because, like, we look at that series and it's just like, my God, this is a masterpiece mm-hmm. of animation and storytelling. Yes. But we look at it through the eyes of, like, older people. Yes. 
you take an episode like you know the Clayface. I was just going to say a Clayface or uh, yeah, or a two, like, or a two face not only episode. That Clayface episode. You put that through the eyes of a two year old. You're like, yeah, maybe not just yet with this. Yeah, that's fair. I got the I got the look from Julie the one night when he woke up. I'm like, all right, that's that's good enough. Um, so I stopped showing that, but. I was watching Mask of Phantasm because it's just, it's awesome. Um, and they came home and William came in and he started, just sat down and started watching it with me. I'm like, you know what? He's older now. We'll see how this goes and whatnot. Mask of Phantasm, you know, spooky at sometimes, maybe for a three-year-old. He didn't seem to mind. As soon as it was done, he wanted to start it right up again. Wow. I was like, well, I got to go start getting the, the grill ready for dinner. So, okay. Knock yourself out. So we might be able to reapproach the the animated series again at some point. Okay. Uh, maybe a little careful with the episodes that I select. Um, so that, like, I know there's stuff I'm forgetting. I started watching uh, Ozark on Netflix. Yeah, how's that? Oh boy. <laughs> um, a good old boy or a bad old boy? I mean, I'm enjoying it for the most part, but like, how to describe it? Um, the, the 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 I didn't like I didn't know anything about it other than people were talking about it. So I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. Literally knowing nothing about it, so it yeah. was it took me aback very quickly when um I I found out what kind of show it was, and then I've been I've been trying to figure out a way to describe it. Basically, the way I would describe Ozark is like. It reminds me of Breaking Bad, except without the levity. And that's saying a lot, because there's not a ton of levity in Breaking Bad either. <laughs> okay. So it's pretty, it's, it's some intense, dark stuff. All right. Oh, that reminds me. Thank you. That reminds me. We did watch something this week. We watched Knives Out. How was that? It is fantastic. Really? Highly recommend it. So you're saying I mean, that Ryan Johnson isn't a hack fraud? No. Okay. I've never said that, nor will I ever say that. Oh, I think there's uh, a lot of people in the Star Wars community that would beg to differ with you, Carl. Every fan community has its people who are wrong. And, yes. You know, yes. We do what we can to educate them. Uh, um, I'm giving up. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Like, you know, Daniel Craig with a deep Southern accent, Chris Evans, a complete douchebag. He's good. It's like, yeah, it's, Chris is, is, it's amazing so, that he kind of came up playing that, that kind of douchey character. And yet somehow he is the best Captain America you could have ever imagined in his earnestness. <laughs> like, how does, how did, what a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely, uh, recommend watching that. You right. can stream it for free on Amazon Prime if you have it. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a watch uh, to be had. So that is our week's dear listeners. As always, we appreciate you stopping by. If you want to drop us a line, tell us about your weeks. Uh, let us know how you're doing. Um, I didn't I didn't post anything that we were recording and that's my bad for anyone who may have wanted to write in. Um, we do have one email to go over, but 
if you want to reach out to us in the future, you can find us at the following social media contacts. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's Do Pod. You can email us at thedevilsdupod at gmail.com. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash devilsdupod. Or you can find all these resources available to you on our website, thedevilsdupodcast.com. We do have an email this week. It was sent uh, last week, I believe, by Mr. Cyrus Moore. Ah. Frequent contributor to the show. Yes, sir. Uh. Cyrus writes, greetings, gentlemen. Hope you are well. I know I tend to write long emails. You don't have to read the whole thing. Cyrus, listen, if you're going to go through the effort to write them, I'm going to read them. Your last episode centered around two somber but important topics, Black Lives Matter movement and the COVID pandemic, both of which I'm very thankful for you both addressing and being honest about. While I am having some optimism that Black Lives Matter movement will install some real change, as it already has, I have to be honest, I have almost no optimism on the pandemic. Mm. My sister is a nurse practitioner, and her hospital has a COVID ward. It went from completely full in March to completely empty in May, and now being completely full again, and they are looking to expand. We seem to have lost all ground we gained during the shutdown mostly from failed leadership and improper reopening procedures. As a country, I feel like we've lost the initiative on this thing, and it won't be getting better again or truly be over until the vaccine is widely available. On a lighter note, speaking of initiative, if you happen to hear a loud noise coming from the direction of Kansas City, don't be alarmed. That's just the sound of the collective heads of my Dungeons & Dragons group exploding from the massive revelation I'm about to drop on them. Oh boy! So in that vein, what is your favorite twist or surprise in entertainment media? Wow. Any fall? Oh, man. That's, a, that's, that's good. So I guess... Fa- we should we should probably get spoilers out of the way right now, right? With with a twist. Okay. Oh, okay. There's a twist. Go on. With a twist. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying with a twist. Oh, yes, so yes. Our favorite, our favorite surprise twi- or twist in entertainment media. Well, wow. Um, I've 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 got a few. I mean. It's it's we live in a world now where you know it's it it can't shock anymore. But you know when I was a kid, uh, and I didn't know anything about anything, and when I found out when 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 Darth Vader tells Luke that he's his father, um, yeah, that will melt your brain <laughs> as a young one. Unfortunately, you know due to the Star Wars saga being what it is now, that is no longer much of a twist, I guess. But, um, you know... It still be your favorite one. It, it's a good one. Um, and then, let me think, another my, like another great one that I will always come back to because it's a major turning point in the in the game itself, in the narrative, and also because the, the dialogue and the um, delivery is so strong. Uh, the very first Mass Effect... Um, Spoilers, I mean, obviously, spoilers for twists and, and, you know, revelations and whatnot, in case you guys didn't know. So in the first Mass Effect, which I will contend is the best Mass Effect, come at me, um, you spend the majority of the first half plus of the game chasing the lead antagonist, a villain named Saren. He flies a ship called Sovereign. Uh, It's like his flagship. 
Well, you reach a point in the game where you have, you know, learned a certain thing or two about uh, a race of ancient beings called the Reapers who over millennia have wiped out um, sentient life in the galaxy and then drifted away into, into parts unknown only for sentient life to rise again in the galaxy and the Reapers to return to wipe it out yet again. Well, what you find out is Saren, the villain, he's really not the primary antagonist and that Sovereign is not his ship. Sovereign is an honest-to-God Reaper and you talk to Sovereign in a very intense part, uh, a a very intense cutscene and uh, dialogue sequence and it takes everything that you thought you knew about the narrative of this game and of this uh, story and flips it on its head and delivers um, some seriously heavy, heavy stuff on you, the player. Um, it's by far one of the most impactful things that I've ever uh, experienced as a, in, in, in media um, in terms of revelations and twists. And uh, so much so that, like, I wrote a song about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, yeah, yeah, Mass Effect. Mass Effect 1, my favorite, one of my, it's my favorite, my favorite Mass Effect, and it's on, uh, it's on my short list of, of all times. Okay. I think mine, I mean, obviously, Vader, the Vader reveal is the de facto number one. Of you course. can make the, you can make the argument that's the greatest plot twist in film history. I would listen to that. Um, but another one that comes to mind is from the Batman storyline, Hush. Mm. Hush, uh, this was back, I think it was 2008 that Hush ran. It goes so back a ways, man. This was Jim, it was year 2004-2008. So this was Jim Lee's first foray into DC Comics. And Hush was a 12-part story, and it is, like, if you were, you were, I can make a strong case for it being in the top 10 Batman stories of all time. 2002. We old. Um, The top 10 Batman stories of all time, but definitely in the bottom half, Um, because it doesn't quite stick the land. I know where you're going with this, but go on. And it had it had a moment, yeah. That had they stuck with this, yeah. It made this the thing, yeah. It would have been in that top five all time stories because the character Hush throughout all of this is a character who's just bandaged up on his face. You have no idea who it is. And it's someone who Batman can tell has clearly knows his methods, knows how he operates and can counter him at every turn. And there's one, at, I think it's like part four, part four, part five of the story where at the end of the book, Hush has Robin in his, like in a, in his, arm with a knife to his throat like tim drake robin and he pulls his bandages down and it's jason todd yeah for those of you who don't know jason todd's the robin who was killed in death of the family again going back to next week um 
uh, Denny O'Neill, uh, an idea that was put forward by the the late uh, great Denny O'Neill, in which readers uh, got to vote whether or not Robin lived or died, and they ultimately voted by a very narrow margin that he died, and it was the Jason Todd Robin, and this was kind of. Um, the everybody's coming back to life boom yeah i'm trying to think the winter soldier um was i want to know i just want to i just want to double check the the years because it was i want to say it was like close to that um oh man go on do do go on while i look this up so so he pulls down the bandages and the last page of the issue is it's Jason Todd. Yeah. And my jaw is on the floor and I'm instantly so much more into the story because not only have we brought back someone that was dead before this became super commonplace in comics, but we brought back arguably Batman's greatest failure and you've made him a villain. Yeah. And for the next like 30 days before I got the next issue, I'm like, this could be so good. Yeah. But, and then, and then it turned out to be Clayface. Yeah. They really dropped the ball on that. <laughs> and if, they just, if they had just stuck with Jason Todd being the villain. Yeah. And make sure at the end of the story that he dies again, permanently this time. You, you have, uh, an all, you have an all time great top five Batman story. I would. Hands not, down. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. Alas. They, so, yeah. Yeah. But Alas. the, Oh, I got an I So, Go, just for whatever reason, I couldn't think of a... I, I was trying to... I should have had a comics one at the ready, uh, but I didn't. But now that you've kind of brought me back around, I have a similar um, similar one. But this one did stick the landing. Okay. Uh, shocker. Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. <laughs> shocker? The, the Spider-Man film? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um if if they if the shocker could ever actually shock me, that would be a shock. So um, no, yeah. uh, no, no. Uh, Grant Morrison's new X Men run. Um, again, spoilers. If you haven't read it, man, I I cannot possibly recommend it enough. And I'm I'm about to like spoil uh, the the grand finale of it. I guess so. You know, sp- spoilers if you don't want to know. <laughs> but you spend in the very first um, issue of grant morrison's new x-men he destroys the entire mutant nation of genosha with uh sentinels invade and wipe out millions upon millions of mutants kills them all and in one of those panels you see um magneto now mind you at the time grant morrison's new x-men came out magneto had been left paralyzed and basically powerless by professor xavier because it was all post um Hero's Return and an and onslaught and all that business, right? So Professor X dealt with Magneto in a semi-permanent way, and that that's that's where he was. And Magneto, you see a panel of him in a in a in a window, 
very small, looking small, basically, in the face of uh, a fleet of sentinels uh, invading Genosha, and then you just see the building and the the floor he's on just explode. So Magneto was taken off the board in the very first issue of Grant Morrison's New X-Men. Now, a new character is introduced called Zorn, and Zorn uh, is pro- prominent in Grant Morrison's New X-Men for the entire duration. He's a hero, he's a healer, he has uh, a mask on, a metal mask, and um, his identity is kind of... They don't really build it up as a mystery, but like he is mysterious in that you never see his face, and you know he, he alludes to his background, and um, whatever. He's just he's a new, mysterious character. So, yeah. fast forward to the nearing the end of... Um, Grant Morrison's New X-Men, probably the second to last, third to last arc. Just like you said, you get to the end of a, of a particular issue, all the chips uh, fall where they may. All of the, uh, you know, all, all the cards are dealt where, where they need to be, and the X-Men are splintered and vulnerable, and Professor Xavier who has been able to um, walk again with the use of nanomachines in his spine for a a good duration of uh, the the Morrison run, suddenly falls to the ground, crippled again. And you uh, see Professor Xavier call out telepathically, X-Men emergency. And then you see an actual speech bubble coming from someone off panel saying, X-Men emergency indeed. And then the next page, you turn the page, and it is Zorn with his helmet off, or rather hovering above his head. And who is it but Magneto underneath Zorn's helmet? And that was the cliffhanger for the next arc. Uh, that was mind blowing. So, yeah, that's good stuff. And then when you go back and you read all of the Zorn issues, all of the clues to his identity were there all along, but you never put it together until he finally reveals who he is. Twists twist can be fun. Twists can be fun when done correctly. But unfortunately, kind of like Hush, although Marvel took their time in ruining it, unlike DC who ruined Hush in the, in the course of the next issue. Um, yeah, Zorn, Zorn as Magneto was, was a cool thing, and then... Um, well, we can't have that uh, because Magneto gets killed by Wolverine in, in the subsequent arc, like legitimately decapitated on, on panel. And then we get into Marvel uh, having to retcon that because Morrison then left the company. And uh, then it turns out that it wasn't Magneto. It was Zorn pretending to be Magneto, pretending to be Zorn. And that Zorn wasn't really Zorn. It's Zorn's brother who was also Zorn. And there is actually a Zorn who was a good guy all along. And it... Yeah. So it basically uh, went back to X-Men status quo. Yeah. Which which was what Morrison was trying to get away from when he took over the title. And why it was very successful. And then, you know... Can't have that. We can't, we can't possibly have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, not to mention... Oh, while we're on Morrison twist... Oh, God. Animal Man... When the nature, when the true nature of Animal Man's reality is revealed to him, that's oh god, what a oh, what a great twist! And the final panel, the final page of that Grant Morrison Animal Man run, 
Ah, what a beautiful twist. A beautiful twist. A happy twist. Ah, I won't spoil it. I, I don't want to spoil these things because they're so good. Like a twisted key like. Yeah. I think we I think props have to be given um for like Alan Moore's twist on Swamp Thing, right? He basically reinvented the whole paradigm of the character. That would that would Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if you would call that so much a twist as it's just like a reinvention of the character. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So okay, cool. Cyrus as always, thank you for your email. We yeah, twists are it. fun, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, okay, normally this is the time where we get into the news. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you know what, folks? It's all bad this week. It's bad news. It's, it's, all, it's all bad. It's, it's so many things that we care about right now. Just like within, I'm not talking about like the larger issues going on in Black Lives Matter, the pandemic, things like that. I'm talking about things that are more pertinent to the show. Um, you know, the the professional wrestling industry, the comic book industry, the fighting game community right now, all three of these things are basically on fire. Yeah. And, yeah. and none of it is good, and none of it makes you feel good about really liking any of these things. They all seem to be relatively the same thing, which is uh, reports of sexual assault and um, grooming, harassment, just widespread. Harassment on, on uh, every uh, level, widespread. And we definitely send out our hearts and our support to, the, to those who are coming forward and having the courage to speak up. Um, but it's just right now with everything else going on, the news is just all bad. So we're going to forego the news this week. Yeah. Again, it's not because we don't feel these things are worth talking about. Under normal circumstances, we would be addressing these things. But right now, you know, many of you have commented how this show has kind of been a bright spot of everything that's going on in this world. And we don't want to dwell on more negativity. So I think if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, you know where we would stand on these issues. And so we're going to kind of have just like a a little, because there was, there was an anniversary this week that got us talking in our group chat with Alan and like just different things talking about. So we're going to do like some, some kind of Batman talk. Let's talk about for, Batman for a little bit, and then we're going to go into episode three, our episode three recap. So we hope you'll stick around with this. You know, we usually have a good time with this stuff. And uh, again, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know where we would stand on a lot of these issues that are going on in these three industries right now. Um, we hope that the positive change that we're seeing. Uh, the the Black Lives Matter movement create um, the the spirit of change that is going around right now in our society can spill over into these three avenues, um, and we can move forward and all be better. So that being said, uh, this past week, and I know last year we 
we spoke about this and that in depth. I think, geez, I think we might have done a whole episode on it. I can't remember. But this past week was the 31st anniversary of the 1989 Batman film. And this kind of gained notoriety because one of the, the news things um, that happened in the past couple of weeks is that Michael Keaton is reportedly in talks to return to the role as Batman in the Flash movie. So, quick take on that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen because it's dependent on the Flash movie getting made. But I kind of hope it does, just not in a flash movie yeah i'm i'm kind of mixed on like of course i want to see michael keaton as batman again right yeah but in the flash movie like you said uh i don't know i don't know do i number one it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence because that movie seems destined to just never happen yeah, but if you got to if you got to generate hype for your film by getting a completely different character other than the title character into your film, yeah, not only that, a, a version of him from from thirty one years ago that that is like re- revered by a generation. <laughs> yeah, like so, if you need that in your movie to generate hype, you might want to reconsider your movie, I guess. But right. So that. Well, let's not dwell. Let us not dwell. It could be. Yeah, we're not going to dwell on that. So that combined with the 31st anniversary of the 89 Batman, combined with me rewatching the animated uh, Dark Knight Returns, we got to talking in our group chat about some different things. Um, first and foremost being the 89 Batman film. And just, well, Drew, you, you, you're the one to kind of initiate this. So I'll let you start this out. Uh, specifically, what what uh, what angle did you want me to kind of get into? Well, I mean, just kind of what what the movie did. Oh God! I mean, now granted, when it came out, you're a little older than me, but I, I was seven, right? So I, my right. my 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 recollection of like movie cinema before Batman is is limited. I don't really remember, right? But with my you know, I do have a degree in media study and, and you know, that there's a lot of film. I, I've, I've studied a lot of movies and I've watched a lot of movies and I've, I've made a lot of crappy movies and I've, I've dissected a lot of movies over the years. Um, it is a passion of mine to some degree. And when you know about movies, you kind of look at certain benchmarks in the industry and how they changed things. Star Wars being an obvious one, Jaws being an obvious one in terms of like, you know, what is a blockbuster and that kind of thing. Batman 89 uh, changed everything in the same way that like Star Wars did, Um, except it did it with even more media omnipresence. Like Batman 89 was like a cultural event. It was a happening. Yeah. It was it was more than a movie. Like it was it was that, a thing. It was all your summer of eighty nine was about. Yeah, period. The, the 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 poster with just the logo, you know, in gold and black and, and like you know, that tra- the trailer with no music, just scenes. Yeah. Uh you know it was just 
It was everywhere. You could not look anywhere without seeing the Batman logo being being thrown in your face, right? I mean, it was when, this. This was a cultural yeah. happening. When I when I think back to that time, like say I'm a little bit older, so I definitely have some fond memories of that time. Of the films in my lifetime that have been the most anticipated, uh, episode one, uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, yeah. Force Awakens, none of them had the hype going into it that Batman had. None of them did. And this was. This was before the time of social media. Like, don't get me wrong. There was marketing. Arguably the most genius marketing ever, because they realized that all you needed was the symbol. Right. And this thing, this mammoth thing, when it opened, at some point in the summer, it was not a question of, have you seen it? It's how many times have you seen it? And it was just, there was so much hype for it. It was just like, we, 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 we are, we, for as much as we're telling you, if you did not live through this, uh, dear listener, man, we're, we are not over, overstating this. Like it was, it, it it was just omnipresent. (laughs) Like, and just like the the lead into it was just uh, it's like they, this didn't start when the film was released. This was starting. I think the film came out in June, late June. Yeah, late June. Like that's that's why that's why we got talking about it. it was the anniversaries of the release. So yeah, yeah. late June, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. And and it really like. This the hype train was going for months before, and just like like you said, you had that that trailer. There's no music in it whatsoever, and then like it comes out and it delivers. It now, does, and but it it and the thing is the th- and this kind of we, we you know we had this conversation like it is not by any stretch a perfect representation of the character Batman. No. It no. <laughs> and Batman himself is even kind of a minor character at best in his own movie. But there is just something about that movie that is magical. It it's it is like the definition of movie magic. And that got us kind of talking about like you know Burton Tim Burton did two two Batman movies. And uh 89 for me hands down for all its flaws with the character and whatnot wins it, because it just has a a magic to it that is so hard to to quantify but if we like we you know we started talking about it and I and I started to be able to quantify certain things. It yeah. it has a vibe. It has a feel. It it feels fully realized. It's Gotham feels fully realized. Its world feels fully realized. The texture, the 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 
the texture of every frame. Like, Returns, I feel like, doesn't have that. Uh, it, Batman 89, though, just the clothing, the the sets, the, the just the, the color palette, everything just feels right and and lush and i don't know i'm like i I struggle to use the word real because it's so outlandish and yet it works and then in returns it got a little too too burtony and it doesn't feel as real it feels more like sets and it feels more there's more artifice involved it's it's the it's the one thing that i always say whenever we bring up returns other than quoting Smith saying there was a happy meal attached to this film. Um, <laughs> and folks have ever seen returns. You look back like this film should not have a happy meal, nor should it be <laughs> anywhere near kids. No. Uh, returns just feels smaller. Yeah. On every, on every level, which is strange the, considering that it's, it's on paper much bigger. <laughs> Right. Like, if if I had to make a, like a top five list of my Batman films, 89 would probably be number three. Mm. But it's, it's hands down the best looking Batman film ever. That, that, that Gotham, to this that day, Gotham, to this day, that is how I, I imagine Gotham City has such a presence and personality. Yeah. It feels like it's closing in around you and you cannot escape from it. Now, admittedly, it doesn't have a lot of locations and in, in whatnot either. Like, it's kind of like right, the same yeah. few streets and the same, uh, you know, the same landmarks and whatnot. But but they do, it, it just seems like they do so much with with what they've got to make it feel well, much, much, much bigger. Right. It's, I've always said that, like, you know, Metropolis should feel like New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, City of Light, Shining, you know, new, modern, things like that. Gotham should feel more like Boston, where it's old world design, and just, like, you can see where, and they really nailed this in the 89, where it's been torn down and rebuilt upon itself over and over again. It just keeps building upon itself. Whereas like something like Metropolis will just wipe something away completely and build something completely new. That's, that's fair. Um, I, I, yeah, like Gotham just, it, it's terrifyingly beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, 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 it has a very macabre beauty to it. Right. It's rusty. It's dingy. It's broken. It, but in like you said, it like it feels like it's 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 just creeping up on you all the time, and yet it just looks incredible. Right, <laughs> and and, and uh, like, the the sun the sun shines for like an hour a day. Yeah, <laughs> pretty know? much. And you just don't get that with any of the other live action representations. No, you're right. You're, uh, no, you're absolutely. I was gonna say, you know, like no none of them. No none of them. Nolan's films are great. You they, know, Dark they are would probably second best Batman film ever. But like perfect example is when we are when we were in theater watching the Nolan films, you know, 
my wife, my wife lived in Chicago for a time in her life and she would like, she would get really excited when she would see a location yeah, yeah. that she knew. And she'd be like, she tapped me on bear. like, I know where that is one on. And that's great. I love her enthusiasm for it, but doing that, kind of takes me out of what I'm trying to believe is Gotham City. Right. He made no real effort at all to, you know, make it uh, its own place. He just used real places. Now, given the, the vibe, the given, given the vibe of those movies, it works, but it, it right. does. It, 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 a little bit in the first one with like the narrows and the bad neighborhood. Right. But then they <laughs> blow it up and they but, say it's lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, gone. And the train, so, but, the, the, the train is never seen or heard from again in the second one. Like they kind of, yeah, they dropped all the all the interesting Gotham stuff in Dark Knight, never to be seen again. Um, but yeah, just going back to '89 though, like it was just so fully realized, and the look of that film, um, and the and the feel of that film, honestly, that was the basis of the animated series. Like not yeah. not not oh, totally, yeah. but that but that dark deco inspiration was there and that led to the animated series aesthetic yeah and not only the aesthetic of gotham but like the aesthetic of the suit while not perfect no yeah but 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 it had a look i don't know it, it, it worked. had it had a look that fit in the in the world and it had a functionality limited though it may be that made it more believable as something that like you know up until that point we have been used to the blue and gray kind of spandex look of batman they really hadn't explored a lot from my understanding in the comics of like the the technical aspect of the suit it was just always the suit Right, right. So, you know, the the idea of the, the chest piece being armor and the gauntlets and the 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 shin guards serving a functionality, the devices within the suit serving that functionality, it just it worked really well while keeping you could definitely tell where the the inspir- the classic inspirations of it came from, especially with like the utility belt. The utility belt at the at the time, as it's represented represented in eighty nine, is right off the page from what it's what it is at that time in the comics. Bright yellow, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The car, the car, the car. Still the best. I look. I know it's practically terrible i know that i know it's it, it does not make any sort of sense and it would be horrible to drive and all you know for all the reasons you i don't care it looks awesome it's movie yeah. it is movie magic <laughs> it is it's it's my favorite batmobile to this day hands down film, film comics tv yeah my favorite batmobile um the it's obviously you know it's it's a little long, and thus has has a difficulty turning. So, and obviously, you know, pretty much ninety percent of its driving was being done on sets. Mm-hmm. So, can't really do a lot with it. But just like the look of it, the functionality, 
And granted, it's got the caliber machine guns, which kind of getting into the things that the film didn't quite get right. Look, we, probably wouldn't have, but like when they pop up, you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, again, it, 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 it does not, as a representation of Batman as we know him, not the best. But as a movie, man, it snaps. <laughs> it just, yeah, it all comes together. Nicholson is fantastic as the Joker. Uh, Keaton, for all the. All the crap he took for being, you know, not the obvious choice, you know, uh, and and not physically imposing and whatnot. (sighs) No, he's not. But you know what? He has a presence to him that works. He and you once he's in the suit, he's Batman. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And it's funny because like a, a very popular saying about the film today is that it is in fact camp it, and it, it is I with some hindsight i don't see it as camp i wouldn't I call it, it full as, tilt camp but it's not as yeah. it's not the serious grim uh for all the all the the talk in 89 when it came out of how dour and and gritty and and grim it was it really wasn't. It was. It was. It's. It's a few stones throws away from being a gothed up version of of the of the TV show. Honestly, in in a lot of ways, it kind of is. It's. It has some beats that you can compare to the '66 show. Yeah. You know, the thugs all wearing the same jackets. Yeah. Um, Nicholson's overall appearance. Uh, but I mean, beyond that, it's really self-sustaining unto itself in what it's trying to do. Totally. You know, you can tell where it's getting, you know, a lot of inspiration from and whatnot. Obviously they wanted to, uh, the Dark Knight Returns, which we're going to talk about a little bit, had a lot of influence on it. More of, more of like a tone influence than anything else. Um, but yeah, but like we've said, it as far as an accurate representation of the character is that is one of those things. Like if if you're like me when you saw this movie. And you're like, holy crap, this movie is now my Bible. <laughs> and then you start reading the comics. Like, I read a little bit of Batman going into this. And, like, but really started reading afterwards. And just, like, years later, having a full understanding of the character, you're just like, you go back and you watch this, and you're like, oh, oh, no. Like, especially the opening. The opening is so iconic. It is. You know, the the mugging. Until you think about it for a minute. (laughs) And then they're up on a rooftop, and then Batman shows up behind him, and he does the thing with the cape. He's not saying anything, and the batarang, and drags the guy towards him and holds him over the roof, like the classic, who are you, I'm Batman. That's great. That's great. But let's back up for a second. Why, did, why, so, did, why didn't he stop the mugging? So you're telling me, <laughs> so 
so you're telling me this guy whose parents were murdered in front of him by a mugger in a back alley when he was a kid who dedicated his life to making sure that that never happens to another kid again is going to just stand stand there and let it happen to another kid? Yeah, I I know. I know. I know. No! I know. Um, And yet... And yet... He lets the whole thing play out. Yeah... But it's but but it but it all just works. <laughs> it's like I I you know I it, I hate to say it, I hate to keep coming back to that, but like it 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 just works. It, <laughs> it all it, just somehow comes together into like yep, this movie's this is a this is a fine film. It it works within itself. Um, this film has has the same problem that you know Batman versus Superman had, for example. Batman just straight up murdering some people in this movie. Yeah, when the when the Batmobile charges into the the chemical factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman kills bomb. a lot of people. <laughs> Batman just kills a lot of people. But you um, know what? I'm gonna be and I, you know somewhere out there, there's someone that's mad saying like, "Well, how could you be okay with that, but not be okay with Batman versus Superman?" And it's like, look here. The reason why is it, it, uh, these things are not all created equal. In '89, you know, context is everything. We were yeah. we were happy just to get a Batman movie, okay, at that time, right? Um, so did it play fast and we loose? You get a comic book movie, right, yeah, exactly. So the rules, it's it's not it's you know, it, unfortunately, it's not a an even playing field, and unfortunately, we can't ju- you know we can't judge them the same. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. but it's it's just the way it is. Uh, there's there's pre 2008 comic book films, and there's post 2008 yeah, comic right. book films. Yeah, yeah, and especially with Batman, and you know, given his whole mantra of non killing, okay, the, Burton, you know, didn't listen to that, but that was now you know, tw- th- oh god, 31 years ago. Ooh, hip- Ooh, yeah. I just shuddered when I said that. Yeah, we know better now. You can do the right thing now, which Chris Nolan, you right. know, did. And that's especially egregious because Nolan even made it a point to keep it in the movie, in his films, yeah. and keep it part of the character, only for Zack Snyder to just more or less jettison it because, of course, he did. Eh, right. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that. Batman eighty nine yeah. is magic. Um, it's magic, and. Yeah. Fun. So I, I had a good time uh, reminiscing about it um, the other day because it just, you know, it left a big mark on me when I was young. Obviously, I was I was I was at that that age when, of course, it would. You know. Um, yeah. And yeah, it just it, as a film, as a as, as an aesthetic, as a mood, as a presentation, like Batman eighty nine, just really is. Uh, it is more than the sum of its parts in so many ways. Like it, the, the the plot isn't even that great or big. Batman's a minor character in his own film. Um, it's not super actiony, believe it or not. Like it's kind of talky. Uh, there's, I mean, there's yeah. some, there's some action scenes, but they're not that many. Um, but you know what? It uh, it doesn't matter because it all comes together into into the. 
the the sum being the whole being greater than the sum of its parts, really. Yeah. So and yeah. Prince and and at the height of his powers, Prince. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I had many many Batman T-shirts. Um. So and I want to swing to talk about for a little bit one of the things that served as a big inspiration, like we mentioned for the Batman 89 film, which was the dark Knight returns, which I watched. I watched again, the animated film Mm -hmm. this past week, which would probably be my number one Batman film. Um, you know, and I'm sure, uh, very clear arguments could be made for that not to be number one, but it is probably my probably one of my all-time favorite books. I'm not just saying comic book. I'm just saying like work of literature mm-hmm. is the Dark Knight Returns. It's easily my favorite Batman story. Easily my favorite comic book story. If I'm going to break it down even more, um, and this thing, and again, it was brought. It was kind of brought back around with the passing of Denny O'Neill because Denny O'Neill had a big hand in kind of shepherding this project. And I think because it's it's so it's become so commonplace in the lore, we tend to forget the impact that this book had. Like this this book along with Watchmen, um and between 1986 and 1987, those two things totally changed comic books forever. Yep. You can make arguments that they change them for the better, and you can also make arguments that they change them for the worse. Um, Depends what lessons you took from them, but yeah. 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 It was the the beginning of the deconstruction of the superhero mythos, uh, something that I think at Right now, the the industry and, and readers of the whole would probably benefit from a reconstruction of the superhero mythos because uh, we've been we've been deconstructing for a very long time. Yeah, but but this thing written by by Frank Miller, um, and back when he and, back when he could write, yeah, at the height of yeah. his powers. Yeah, this is this is probably his this is probably his masterpiece. I, your one is good, your one is good, but this is this is probably his masterpiece. It's one A and one B for me, t- to be honest. They're, they're both fantastic. Um, and I, you know, Miller became what he became, unfortunately. But in at this time, he was he was he was uh, on fire and. Um, Dark, like you said, the importance of, of Dark Knight Returns cannot be understated in the medium. Yeah, I've started uh, reading it again. Um, I have the the absolute Dark Knight, the big uh, hardbound copy. It's got uh, Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Strikes Again in it. Um, I've always meant to just get like a reader copy of Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. 
just because this thing is great. It's fantastic. It's like it's slightly oversized, but it's just not physically comfortable to read. Yeah, I have the absolute Watchmen. I feel the same way about it. I love it. I love yeah. to break it out once in a while, but it's not, by no means is it my go-to to read the story. It's got it's got the silk bookmark in it. And yeah, everything. It's yeah. Good. So, um, there's actually there's an absolute uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. No. Oh. That at some at some point I do want to pick up, but the the animated film it was something that I always kind of wanted DC animated to get around to doing, and when they finally announced they were doing it, I was kind of like, okay, let's let's see what they decide to do, and then they do probably the best thing for it is they decide to do it in two parts, and that was just really a great decision because it allowed them to get as much material in there while kind of streamlining it for the medium. Um, there's not a lot that's not in there. Like the big points from the book, it's all in the film and DC animated at the time was very, very good with emulating the art style of the story they were adapting. You know, the, the, the Batman Superman animated film they came out with very much emulated, um, Ed McGinnis's art. Right. Uh, the, the sequel to that one, the, where they introduce the latest incarnation of Supergirl does a very good job at emulating Michael Turner's art. And this one does a really good job of emulating Lynn Varney's art. Um, and Frank Miller's art, as he was the he was the penciler on it. Yep. Uh, and it just, it works on so many levels. The, the visuals are most of the times right off the page. The score... Like the last time I watched it, the score really took me because it's just so perfectly done. It feels. I'm not going to see you and I, we listen, we hear music very differently. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this with you in the past. I'm always fascinated how people who have the capability to actually create and make music hear music because they hear it very differently than someone like me who does not have the ability to create music would hear it. So I listen to the, the score for dark Knight returns and it's very like, yeah, there's that, that underlying tone of the, the classical symphonic score, but then it's mostly layered with eighties synth. See, that fits. That's nice done really well yeah. it very much reminded me of the watchmen television series mm. Mm. in the in the beats that it was hitting speaking uh, before you before you go on um i can't believe that we got ta- we got done talking about batman 89 and how awesome it is without mentioning how incredible the score is <laughs> well i mean it's it's the Danny Elfman score, man, it's, it's defined how that character has sounded yeah. for years afterwards. I, I, I'm still 
sorry, Hans Zimmer, but you're no Danny Elfman. I mean, <laughs> I know that sounds like I'm not trying he's to. No Dan- he's no Danny Elfman, but he made his version work. It's fine, but it's it's not the Elfman score, man. But they were again, they were going for different things. So anyway, uh, yeah. oh, that Elfman score. Anyway, Dark yeah. Dark Returns. Sorry. Um, and the score is just so fantastic, and the voice acting. Um, going to be speaking your language again because Peter, <laughs> Peter Weller as as Batman, RoboCop as Batman. Yeah, um, I didn't know how I was going to react to it because obviously, you know, number one in our hearts for the voice of Batman is uh, is always going to be Kevin Conroy forever and always, but. I find that there are some times when he's voicing Batman that it takes me out of the story they're telling. Like you're hearing Kevin Conroy's voice and you're thinking of the animated series and kind of takes you out of what they might be trying to do. Okay. Like I would love to hear a reading of Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill doing the climactic scene from the killing joke or the scene in Arkham Asylum from the killing joke. But I found when I watched the animated movie, them doing the voices kind of took me out of it at times. There's well, without getting too, too uh, off, off topic, but, I kind of I, I get what you're saying, and I kind of feel that way about the Arkham games. To be honest with you, I think it's commendable that they got the animated series voice cast back for the most part, and I think that yeah. that sold the game to a lot of people in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it gave it an authenticity, you know, like a for the fans kind of vibe. Uh, but the actual experience in hearing it. I don't know. See, seeing the Arkham game aesthetic with those voices was not super pleasant to me. Yeah, see, with that, I adjusted to it and just became like part of the experience. But what what Weller did the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm not sure how much I'm feeling this. But upon rewatches, it, his performance draws me in more and more each time. Uh, just because, like, he's not he's not changing the voice. He's not doing like a gravel, you know, gravelly yeah. Batman voice, right? Um, he's just doing his voice. There's no difference in the voice between Bruce and Batman, which. At that point in his life in the story, there pretty much wouldn't be because right, he didn't care right. anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say thematically that, that that makes sense. Yeah. And so it was, and uh, Michael, oh, his last name escapes me. He was the guy from Lost, uh, uh, the, the villain with the glasses. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, oh, yeah. Um, it's. I'm gonna get it here in a second. Yeah, yeah we're both Michael Emerson. Michael Emerson yes. does the Joker. Yes, and he's great. Yeah, he's I, fantastic. I, I could see that working really well. Actually, I could see him working as a live yeah. action Joker. To be honest with you, but 
Yeah, I well, digress. no, back when back when Nolan was making his films and Julia had me watching Lost, I was like, this guy would make a fantastic Riddler. Ah, or, or yeah, that, that would work too. Yeah, like I wanted to see this guy's Riddler. But anyway, so the Dark Knight Returns animated film, if you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, if you have HBO Max, uh, both parts are on there now. You can actually get uh, Blu-ray of the entire fi- the full film. It comes in just under two and a half hours, or no, yeah, two and a half hours, pretty much on the on the dot. And it's just it it's fantastic. I mean, I love the story. It's a great adaptation. It kills me that you haven't seen it yet. Well, the HBO Max situation isn't going to help that at all. Um, but and that and the, the unfortunately my time is oh Carl. Yeah. What they don't tell what they don't tell you about having kids. Yeah. <laughs> what what we all kind of know but you don't really appreciate until you have them. Oh, your time. <laughs> yeah, your time. So yeah. Uh a little bit of Batman talk there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, it's good. We, it, we both enjoy the character. I feel um, I do. I just feel like he's been overdone. Um I'm I long for the simpler days, Carl, but that's, yeah. it might be more of a me thing than anything, but I, I feel like he's been, like I said, when, when Batman 89 came out, it was a watershed moment, right? And it was a big deal because there wasn't a big representation of Batman, you know, outside of comics at that time. God, now Batman has been just, uh, I know, I know. Like we said, the '89 was omnipresent in the culture at the time, but not in the not in the same way that he's omnipresent now. <laughs> it's, it's hard to explain yeah. what I mean by that, but like the 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 poster and the hype for the movie was omnipresent in '89. Now Batman and in all his batness is just like everywhere and everyone loves batman and everyone likes to talk about the same stuff about batman and it's it it, i just get i'm i'm like burned out on batman i still love batman i still love you know the, the great batman stories the character in 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 concept and everything i i dig i have you know my soft spots for certain arcs and all that but like um, I'm just, I'm just burned out right now on, on Batman. I think it's been a, you know, they, they, they could have pumped the brakes harder post Nolan, I feel, but we got to keep that train rolling. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but to, I, to, but I do love Batman, even if it seems it like back, I don't let's take it back to dark Knight returns and quote, uh, commissioner Ellen Yandel. He's too big now. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, that said, uh, the the Matt Reeves, uh, Pattinson stuff is is speaking my language to a degree. So, I'm I'm feeling the vibe on that one right now. Until I see it in motion, of course. When you know, we'll see. But uh, that 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 that, from what I've seen of that so far, I'm getting I'm getting those tingles again. Those like, oh yeah, Batman. I don't know why. Loving the way. I, Loving I, the way the Batmobile looks. I think that's what it is. I think it's the car. <laughs> still, still questioning the tactical purposes of an open, exposed engine. Hey, hey, um, hey, hey. Look, what do we say about the 89 Batmobile? 
Doesn't make any sense, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> Exposed jet turbine. Or as you're so uh, far, as you are so fond of saying, uh, tell me a good story. I will forgive you some sins. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, okay. So let us move on to our look back at Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Look at all this content you're getting from us this week. Oh, my God. You're, you're, oh, you're getting big old Bat retrospective. Now you're getting a big old Star Wars retrospective. Wow. 15 years old this year. Is it really? Episode 3 came out in 2005. That's so weird. Uh, it feels more recent than that. I don't know why th- I don't know why that is. I know it's that's I know that's right, but it feels newer to me. But that I guess that I guess that's right. Yeah. So, okay. Huh. These these previous two episodes, I will admit have not gone the way I've hoped. <laughs> the the pre the previous two uh recaps um so i mean you are a very passionate person you have your thoughts and try as i may to channel them in a different direction um i i cannot do it so here's what we're gonna do drew i mean okay go on <laughs> you you just go. Oh no 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 no! I look. You, you you just you just go. You say what you want to say, and then I'll say what I want to say, and we'll be able to put the prequels behind us. I'm I'm looking forward to that. To, to better things. <laughs> Jen asked me. She's like, "Do you have to watch a Star Wars movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's the last bad one, <laughs> and then we can talk about good ones again, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I can actually enjoy watching them again." <laughs> It's, it's it's not the last bad one. <laughs> it's it's the last this bad one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, okay. All right. So go so, ahead. Dude. Share, share share with us your notes and experience. Oh. Episode three: Revenge of the Sith. The the notes the notes will be posted as 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 always. Um. To be fair, I, I'm gonna be. I'll be charitable to this one to some degree. Now, look, it's not good. Okay, I'm not going to mince words. This it's it this this is not a good movie, and I do not recommend anyone sit through it. However, uh, after the last movie, I will say this: it seems like an attempt was made. I'm not saying it was a successful attempt, but it is. It it does show on the on the in the finished product. An attempt was made to make a better film <laughs> than Attack of the Clones. Um, almost to the point of uh, overcorrection in a lot of ways. So, what I mean by that? Well, if the terrible, terrible love story was, you know, ruining Attack of the Clones, not to worry, because in this one, Padme is basically reduced to a nothing do no, a literally do nothing character uh that was that kind of took me aback given that she has been you know a central figure in the trilogy thus far and now in this one she does nothing like at all kind of weird I, I like i didn't expect that to stick out so much to me when i when i was going back to watch this but i'm watching it, i'm like huh man they sidelined her now, i know she's pregnant but man they sidelined her <laughs> she has nothing to do <laughs> Anyway, uh, 
Um, the slapstick stuff is still there, although in smaller doses. This movie, like, there, there's little moments that took me aback a little bit where I was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like when we saw Justice League. There were those moments when we, 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 we kind of thought to, to ourselves, like, ah, if, if this could be the whole movie, you would have a, it would be great. You, you, had, you almost had it. But then the rest of the movie happens and you don't have it. So, like, Obi-Wan and Anakin in this, it's still, Hayden Christensen is still struggling with, with what he's been given and what he's being asked to do. But there are moments, at least one moment anyway, that I found. Um, they, they try and play up their chumminess um, early on in the film, and it doesn't really work. But it's still, like, somewhat better than what they were doing in Attack of the Clones. But after they do their little rescue, excuse me, their rescue mission of the Chancellor, and believe me, that whole sequence was stupid, but I digress. They have this little exchange on, on the platform where they talk about, like, you saved me for the tenth time, ninth time, whatever. There's just a certain... That delivery and that exchange, Hayden Christensen actually, like, shows some... It feels like he shows some genuine emotion and humanity. And Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor doing, doing yeoman's work in this role, doing so, <laughs> doing so much with so little. Like, I, I feel bad for him, and yet, you know, I respect him because he really brought, for, for such a, uh, in a, in a, in a in, what am I trying to say? <laughs> in a series of films where, like, everyone is just, probably struggling to death with what they're being asked to do by George. Uh, Ewan McGregor somehow show shines through with personality and charm, you know, and in this little exchange of the two of them on that landing platform for a, for a moment, I was like, see, that should have been like two movies of that. We see their friendship. We see them actually, you know, being somewhat, Somewhat normal people. No one acts like normal people in these movies. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... Everyone just acts like a robot all the time. In a movie with actual robots, that's incredible. <laughs> like, um, But sometimes, actual personality shines through. And when it does, it's like, oh, hey, wait a minute. There it is. And that happens for a brief shining moment in this film. And I was like, you know, you could have did that two movies ago. And we could have altered the whole trajectory of this of this thing, and it would have gone a long way, but it alas it it really didn't. Um, I I don't I don't know really what to say about this movie. There's a lot of fluff in it. I feel um, structurally. I, again, I I look at things structurally, and you know it's it's that it's that media study in me. Um, God, there's just so many shots of ships landing, <laughs> like. I get it. You need, you need to like George just fell in love with his ship establishing shots, and it just you could cut out like at least ten minutes of film with with shortening those shots. I swear. Um, and I, I, this is another example in this movie of of George trying to um, tie everyone together in various ways. Yoda meeting Chewbacca, like our buddies, like. What? What? Okay. Sure. I guess. Um, and there's those narrative, there's those dialogue callbacks that are so forced. Uh, 
Um, I'm trying to, th- I, I think I made notes of a couple of them, but it's just like, uh, in the, in that opening sequence with, with Obi-Wan and Anakin flying the ships to the thing, there's, there's just several, there are, there are several instances of dialogue being lifted out of the original trilogy and that just, they're not, they serve no real purpose in this movie except to go like, huh? Huh? Remember? And it's like, oh God, come on, George, just, just write the movie, <laughs> write the movie you want to make and don't stop trying to poke me, you know, in the, in the chest going like, eh, see, remember? Yes, George, I remember. It's a Star Wars movie. I'm here because I remember, you know? Eh, anyway. Um, Dooku dies too early. I think we, I said about episode two, one of the things I did like about that movie was Count Dooku. Huge missed opportunity not using more of him. And here he's taken out early on to little fanfare. And it's like, oh, well, so much for that. And then we get stuck with this coughing robot guy, Grievous, who's really dumb. Uh, uh, whatever. He might as well not even really exist because he's just a he's just a thing that Obi Wan can fight later. There's a lot of just nothingness in this film. Um, you know, a lot of it's, it's just wasted space. Like, all, uh, I don't know. It's it's action for the sake of action. It's kind of like. You said earlier, like you wanted to, you wanted to put something on that you could just kind of like half pay attention to, and that's how I felt watching episode three. Like, there's just all these action beats that there's no real drama in them. There's no tension. There's no stakes, but it's just stuff going on on the screen, and it doesn't really mean anything. It's just getting us to the next thing. But George wants to ramp up the action a little bit, and it's like, okay, but why? You know. I don't know. Um, some people would probably say this is like the, the 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 best of the prequel trilogy, and I don't I don't know if I could. To be honest with you, I don't know if I could get there, Carl. I I might actually say that uh, for all for as bad as it is, and for as much as I really did not enjoy my experience watching it, I think the Phantom Menace might be the best of the prequels. Okay. I that's just how I feel. I this because this one just overcorrects in all the wrong ways. Like I said, it sidelines Padme. I feel like because George got mad that people didn't like his love story, and then because you know he people thought that they were too kitty in these movies. This one suddenly decides to get like overly violent and crazy. Like they cut off Dooku's head and like. Vader kills kids and stuff. I'm like, okay. You know, for kids. <laughs> These movies. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of a muddled mess. And I don't like all the... I don't like how it makes everything interconnected. It, it's, it, it makes this big, great big galaxy that much smaller. Um, and narratively, it really doesn't tie together that well. Um I mean, it just it just seems like it's trying to check off things that it it has like a list of things it has to do. To it's it's got boxes to tick to get us to a new hope, and it just it just starts running through them. Like Yoda, you know, just bails to Dagobah, and that's just where he goes for twenty years. Like that's it. Like that's that's just what happens. Obi Wan goes to Tatooine and chills out for twenty years. Like it just okay. 
everything's just going to sit around for a while. We're all just going to hang. Uh, okay. I guess. I mean, I know it, you, you could argue it kind of has to be that way, but it feels odd that everyone just kind of gave up at the end and just decided, eh, we'll wait around till Luke comes around. Like, oh, what a plan. <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's just weird. All those Jedi get taken out by stormtroopers. That seems really stupid to me. <laughs> sure, sure, they were ambushed. I get it. But you were Jedi. You were all powerful Jedi knights. When I was a kid, I thought you guys were supposed to be the, the, the coolest and the bestest. Eh, some stormtroopers just got the drop on you. Okay. Guess you weren't that cool. <laughs> I don't know. Ah. Eh. Palpatine's got lightsaber. Eh. I don't know. I don't even know. There's not much else I can really say, to be honest. I, I don't want to just... I've said my piece. I, I can't get to a place where I'm okay with, with, with these movies. So... You good? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I, you you let me go. I, I was waiting for you to step in. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, it's, like I said, it's, 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 it's not saying we're not going to you know touch on some stuff there, but I just wanted to let you let you get your your stuff out there, and that you're not you know not 100 percent wrong. I'm not. There's a lot of things I agree with you on. Some things that don't quite see eye to eye on, but that's kind of been the the flow of the the prequel episodes so far. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it for me, yes, it is the best of the prequels. Hmm. Um, it's not a good movie, but I don't think it necessarily goes so far as being a bad movie. It's definitely rewatchable for me. Um, of all the of the three pre- prequel films, this is the one that I will not chagrin rewatching um the i mean just kind of start from the beginning i i love me a good space battle and oh boy do we do we get one in the beginning i was like when i was first watching i was like, wait no 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 no! don't go in the big ship yet can we can we stay out here there's a lot of fun stuff going on out here i was like watching and every time i i rewatch it since then just looking at the background stuff that's going on and just, you know, getting a sense of what that level of warfare was like at that time. Um, it just, it, I think it's just really cool to watch. I like to see the different ships, desi- the ship designs and how they interact or the, uh, the arc 170 are kind of like the, the pseudo, the X-wing looking ships that the clones are flying. It's always been one of my, uh, I've always really liked that design. The, I believe it's called the ships that Obi-Wan Anakin flying. I believe they're called the Ecta 2E. Kind of, you kind of see, they kind of lay the groundwork of where Imperial design is heading. Um, How they kind of favor, you know, lighter, cheaper, faster, more maneuverable ships as opposed to, you know, what eventually becomes the rebellion ships and like kind of more durable, uh, can take a hit more, things like that. So the, yeah, the, the opening space battle scene, I was always a big fan of, 
Um, yeah, the the rescue scene. Yeah, it's not it's not great. It's like you kind of. It's almost like they're trying to do a James Bond opening to the movie, just opening with a big action scene and then kind of slow it down from there. Um, the thing I really always really liked about the film that that I always go back to is is how slash why Anakin made the turn yeah. with the dark. I, I like that it wasn't just Palpatine whispering in his ear. It wasn't just being pulled to the dark side by the dark side. It was the Jedi compromising their own beliefs, the Jedi giving him reason to believe that, you know, maybe they are not the way, maybe Palpatine is the way. Um, I think Ian McDermott is great in this as Palpatine. Um, Probably, uh, one of his easily his best performance in the prequel trilogy. Um, I wasn't crazy that. I mean, dude, you gotta stop electrocuting yourself. Um, yeah, dude, that, yeah, you, that. I'm sorry. I'm, you I, hang on, I'm gonna stop. You, you, you let me go. I'm gonna let you go. You do in this one. You do it in, in episode nine. It's just like. Just stop shooting yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't. I, I wasn't crazy, and still not that they like they put him in the the heavy makeup and prosthetics. Yeah, return just to kind of make it like if you want to just have him pull the hood up and just let him go, I'm fine with that. You know, I can believe that this guy ages and like the dark side is kind of corroding his physical being. You know, I get that in Jedi. Like you don't need to show me how he gets there. That's George, man. Like, I, I get I get how aging works, yeah. George. Believe me, my I my my hair is is in stark retreat. It, it keeps <laughs> the hairline keeps falling back to a, a rally point. Um, I, I get how aging works. You don't you don't need to show him that. I think some of the things that. Um, we we get to see in this are kind of cool with as far as the the evolution of the clone troopers. Like they go from you know the beginning of the Clone Wars in Episode Two, or they're all just like like ninety percent of them are just white. They have no personality whatsoever, whatnot. In this one, like we see that some of them have names, and there's different designs of them, and you know we see it's mostly done with, with Obi-Wan and Cody and very brief instances that there's a trust between the Jedi and the clones. Um, I've never, I've never bought into the argument of, well, the Jedi were just killed by a bunch of stormtroopers. Well, cause everyone kind of defaults this. Well, Jedi are supposed to be these super powerful beings. No, they're not supposed to be where in the classic trilogy is that ever established? That the Jedi are super powerful beings. The Jedi are esta- in the classic trilogy. The Jedi are established as peacekeepers. That is it. There is nothing in the classic trilogy that gives any illusion to what their power levels at their peak were or were not. So, their you know them being wiped out 
by the clones, which canonically are vastly superior to stormtroopers. Um, I'm I'm okay with that. That makes sense to me, and it shows like the and obviously things that have come after the films, ancillary things to the films, the Clone Wars animated series, um, Rebels shows just like how long of a game Palpatine was playing with this whole Order 66 plan. Um, unfortunately, you know, because of the film shortcomings, we don't get that flushed out, but they've really explored it really well in a lot of the, the ancillary stories afterwards. Um, the, I like, you know, we got a chance to see Kashyyyk, which was cool. I like the design of it and whatnot. I totally, I'm totally with you as far as Chewbacca being there. Mm. We don't need Chewbacca there. Why is he there? He doesn't need to be there at all. Um, uh, what else? Like just kind of seeing, some of the other worlds was really interesting. Uh, Grievous is not great in the film. Like you said, he's just kind of there for something for Obi-Wan to fight. And like, they made it such a big deal. All the promotional stuff leading into this film about he's got four arms, he's got four lightsabers. And then Obi-Wan like instantly cuts off two of those arms. Yeah. So, like this, this, you know, we were in a, you know, a film trilogy where you started us off with Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul, which was, you know, technically spectacular. And then, you know, you kind of leave with this, but then we get to the Anakin Obi-Wan fight, which starts out really solid. Both oh, technically and emotionally. Goes too long. It, it does go too long. Goes too long. Like, God, it's, it goes on not, for... It's like 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's it's not so much the length as it is the structure of the length. Well, yeah, like, like at a certain as point. Soon, as soon as they start surfing on droids oh. and riding parts of scaffolding that's falling down. Everything up until that point was great. Like you felt the emotion there and the, the saber technique is like the best that's been seen on screen to this point. But like, as soon as they turn it into an amusement park ride, it, you lose all that momentum you're building up and you don't get it back. Cause your brain until, knows that it's all not real. <laughs> like, yeah, and you don't get it back until, like, you know, the the much gift scene, you know, I have the high ground and whatnot. Uh, how again, again, Ewan McGregor making making gold out of straw with what he's being given. <laughs> uh, like that, that scene, like that last scene between him and Anakin, like, just you see the heartbreak there. And knowing, like, where these characters ultimately go and whatnot. Um, the, yeah, the Vader transformation scene. Uh, is a, uh, yeah, we obviously all know the, the no, uh, uh, definitely, definitely could have been done differently. 
Um, like showing even like showing the construction of the suit and the application of the suit. That's all well and good. That's fine. That that looks great. I, I like, get point, but like as soon as he Frankenstein's off that thing, uh, you're like, uh, it's like, it's like the second they start building good momentum, they do something that immediately sabotages. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, actually. And it's just like, but it, like they, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, like. You're right, yeah. and and the, the thing, but again, though, even putting him in the final, like he, he's in the final uh, iteration of the suit right away, and then that's just the suit for twenty years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, I, I, it, I, I, you could put him in some kind of proto Vader suit, and I would, you know what I mean? I get it. I would understand, like, oh, I get it. And then twenty years later he's made modifications or he's tweaked this or that. He looks different. You know what I mean? Right. But no, nope, there it is. It's in the suit. The suit we all know, like, I, the suit we, the suit you're like, all right, I, I, it's just, it's just George checking, checking off the list, you know? And yeah, I'm not, not saying, and I'm not saying it was lazy. I'm saying, if anything, it's overdone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I feel like, is as we're talking about like the final duel between Anakin and Obi Wan, as as much as that is like just pure emotion and saber technique and whatnot, I would have liked to have seen the the fight between Sidious and Yoda not have any lightsabers at all. Oh, I just oh big agree <laughs> with the Force. I think I've been like, on record about this. I don't think Yoda or the Emperor should have ever, ever taken out a lightsaber, ever. The, well, I'm totally fine with the first where the where the Jedi come to arrest him. Because we, we have to establish that we have to establish how powerful he is, not just in the Force, but that he is a full-blown Sith Lord. I, and can, at this point, def- like, it doesn't make any sense. If we're going to make the argument that in New Hope, Obi-Wan is still able to defend himself with a lightsaber. We can't say that Palpatine... The, the logic doesn't hold out that Palpatine wouldn't be able to as well. I guess my read on it is it has always been, going by the dialogue of the original trilogy, the lightsaber is, as Palpatine states, a Jedi's weapon. And Vader just happened to use one because he was a former Jedi. The Emperor, to me, used the Force. He did not use the lightsaber. The Emperor was strong in the dark side. He could throw lightning. And, and even that isn't the limit of his abilities. It's the, it seems to be the limit of, of uh, Star Wars writers' imaginations in a lot of instances. But the dark side uh, seemed to be a place where... Uh, powers like that manifested and they did decrepit things to you and they wrecked you like they did I mean, again this was all in my mind watching the original trilogy and lightsabers were jedi territory and vader used one because he was a former jedi that's that's the way i always just understood it based on the the the, the, the language of cinema uh, and the and the script for that matter and then yoda yes yoda was a jedi but again based on what i saw in in the original trilogy i had no inclination or 
belief that he ever held a lightsaber or that he was proficient with one at least because he seemed to be above all that like and that he was the opposite of the emperor whereas the emperor he had all these like demonic weird powers yoda was strong in the good side the focused side um and lightsabers were just not his purview he was above them he didn't need them yeah so you, you can make an argument that there's like a point in both Jedi ancestors where you move beyond the light. Exactly, exactly. Like they're like I I feel like I feel like uh, George I mean I don't know. I I feel like uh it somehow along the way became this de facto thing that lightsaber equals Jedi or lightsaber equals the force or if you use the force e- therefore lightsaber. And I don't I don't I never thought that growing up like a Jedi Knight would wield a lightsaber. Sure. Obi-Wan Luke Vader, but the force was bigger than a sword. Okay. The force was bigger than a weapon. Sure. It, it was that, that was like the whole point of it, that it was so much bigger than any one weapon. Luke doesn't even use a lightsaber outside of like, you know, uh, a training sequence in, in a new hope. He uses the force to focus his mind to take the shot at the death star. Like the force is bigger than a lightsaber. And somehow, man, that message got lost and everything just had to be about lightsabers at some point. And that's just really disappointing to me. It make, again, like a th- a th- you're going to sense a theme here. It just makes everything feel so much smaller. Like, no, I, I get that. Um, again, I know that like, for lack of a better term, I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but a lot of the ancillary media has really incorporated the lightsaber into being a very personal thing for a Jedi. Like a, a Padawan has to go to a planet that we actually saw in force awakens because it is what the first order created star killer base on it was that planet um the name of it escapes me in a moment but all padawans would have to go to a planet be guided by the force to their specific kyber crystal that that that's fine Je- like Je- jedi can do that but it, but my point my, my overall point though was beyond the Jedi. It's like the well, the force itself that should not be reduced to a weapon. So the fact that Sidious has a lightsaber. No, I get you, that. you know I it's get like, that. Ah, like with, I don't with, know with the Sith. With the Sith, it's it's different. Like their lightsaber cannot be. They cannot, you know, find their lightsaber build their own lightsaber they have to take a crystal from a jedi and make that crystal bleed which is why the blade is red so i mean more or less i'm saying like the the ancillary media has really flushed it out surprisingly sarcastically in a better way than the the prequel trilogy has um, but no, I, I think again, there's, you're, you're making valid points. Um, and again, I'm good. Like I'm fine with Palpatine 
having a lightsaber. I'm fine with him not having a lightsaber. Um, it's not something that defined his character necessarily for me, so it's not necessarily something that detracts from his character, um, him having one. Um, trying to think what else. Yeah, I agree with you on Padme. She just didn't really have anything to do in this film other than give birth and die. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, just really great character. Um, trying to think what else. Considering how central she was to the narrative of, of the first two prequels, and like how central her character was in another way to like the overarching plot, like, man, she is totally a non-factor outside of giving birth and dying. Like this whole, yeah, she, just, she really just gets reduced to a, she brushes her hair in a window. That's it. And, and yeah, she gets, she gets reduced to being Palpatine's pawn. And, and he uses to manipulate. Anna. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, yeah, that, that's a huge step down for her character. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things about this film that I like. Um, there are a lot of things about this film that I definitely see eye to eye with you on. Um, again, to me, it's the, it is the, the best of the prequel trilogy. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what I got on it. If there's anything you want to circle back to? Uh, it's just, the, I, you know, it's just, the, it's just an overall on paper, the, the 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 plot of these of the prequels could work, but it really the, these movies are, are are kind of like failures of execution more than anything. Um, I yeah, it's it's like I've always said the prequels are telling a good story; they're just doing it with bad execution. There, there could be if you. <sighs> It, they needed a human touch for one. I needed to care about these characters. And unfortunately, George's dialogue does not provide that. Um, and then I don't, and I don't even know if, if it's the characters themselves that, that make it impenetrable. I don't know, but I'm sure with a good script, we could get there. Um, you know, Harrison Ford doing the Lord's work in the original trilogy as the straight guy to, you know what I mean? Cause you, yeah. you kind of need that to, to, to make, some kind of sense out of out of the weirdness you know you need a you need a straight man there to either sell it as normal or to react to how weird it is it he's you know it the audience needs some kind of surrogate at a certain point but anyway um that i there's so many instances of like i don't know what is happening and i don't know why i should care so like you said about how the the opening space battle how you know awesome it is yeah visually there's a lot going on Unfortunately for me, these movies didn't set up a really strong visual language to tell me what is what and who is who and why. What I mean by that is in the original trilogy, I know because the movies make it very clear, Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters are bad. X-Wings and Millennium Falcons are good. And that that is a theme through all three films to the point where I see those ships doing battle... I know who the good guys are, I know who the bad guys are, and I know the stakes of what is happening based on what ships are getting blown up and when. In that opening sequence in in, in uh, episode three, 
I don't have a clue what is what, who is who, and why. Because the movies didn't spend any time at all establishing any of that for me to care. The the closest thing I got is the donut hole droid ship from episode one. Uh, that like That's it. That's all I could really tell you. Right. Because it just wasn't an important thing to establish, apparently, in these movies. So by the time things are happening that are supposed to matter, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And there is, like, no over... Maybe, and again, maybe it was the point, and it was just executed poorly, but I don't know who the bad guys in these... in Like, the Clone War itself, I don't know who who is, who is fighting who and why. Should I be, like... I guess I'm rooting for the Jedi to win, but like there's the separatists, but then there's the clone troopers and yet the good guys are actually the bad guy. Like none of it really clicks on any real level. I don't understand the stakes of any of this. That was kind of poor from the beginning, the trade federation and all that. Like, okay, I I get that you're the bad guys and I'm air quoting, but why, why are you blockading why are you doing this thing? And then why is that bad? And then why is the Senate voting on the thing that it's all just very murky and there's no human. I don't understand the stakes of any of it. It's really impenetrable. It, it, I, I don't know. And yeah, I, I think had, had that stuff been established, <sighs> I mean, these are these are critical failures. So it's hard to it's hard to say if they if only they did this one thing. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that one thing is very big. Unfortunately, um, it would have helped in in laying the groundwork of like, oh, okay, this is why I should care about this 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 war, and the war itself, man. Like, it doesn't seem to really affect anybody. Like, you know, I'm sorry to say, but like Padme's just chilling out on Coruscant, brushing her hair in the window. If there's a war going on, man, we, we don't really see the cost of it anywhere, do we? You know, everything just seems fine on Coruscant. Everything's everything's cool. And then, you know, once in a while we'll go to some, you know, weird planet and like, oh, well, here's fighting happening. Meanwhile, on Coruscant, la 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 la, what war, you know? I, I, yeah. I That, that kind of irks me a little bit, like... And same thing with like Naboo, you know, the planet got blockaded. Remember, we talked about this. It's like your your super lush planet, and and the, the the droids took over, and it was so bad. And then you look around, it's like, was it? I don't know. Everything looks looks good. Everyone's okay. Having a big old parade after the fact. Everything looks good. I, I don't know. Like, eh, it's just failures. Failures in execution. Uh, on paper, the story of how a, a good body of of government goes bad, and how you know the, the 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 peacekeepers got you know played, and how they got turned against, and all that. It's all you know theoretically good, but it needed a deft hand in the scripting department to pull it off, and it just didn't really didn't go that way, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I agree. Um... So yeah, that uh, Drew, we're we're done with the prequels. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm. See, now I'm looking forward to watching Star Wars again <laughs> from this point forward. <laughs> all right, so that is going to wrap it up for us this week. As always, we appreciate all of you joining us. 
Um, we'll be back again, hopefully in two weeks to head on into the sequel trilogy, starting with, uh, the force awakens in, in the meantime, if you want to reach out to us, communicate with us, shoot us any questions to be your comments, to be right on the show. You can do so at the following locations. You can find us on Twitter and follow us at Devil's Do Pod. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Devil's Do Pod. You can email us at the Devil's Do Pod at gmail.com. Or you can find all these resources available to you on our website, the Devil's Do Podcast.com. Drew, any closing thoughts? Uh. No. <laughs> uh, are we gonna are we gonna watch the uh, spin-off flicks too? Yeah, we'll we'll evaluate when we get to the end of the Skywalker saga prop. Ah, okay, that's fair. Good deal. Um, Good deal. So I want to I wanna make sure we do the main episodes. Then if you you still feel it. You got you got it in you, especially after Rise of Skywalker. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest; I, I've only saw it. I've only I've only seen it the one time. So, um, curious how that will all hash out in, in upon review. We'll find out in a few weeks. Alrighty, so folks, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we hope you all have great Fourth of July. Had at the point you'll be listening to this. A great 4th of July weekend. I hope you have uh, all your fingers and toes, folks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> stay safe. Stay healthy. Please wear a mask out in public. Yes, please. Please, please believe that Black Lives Matter. And just be excellent to each other. Don't, and, like, don't, don't do bad things to other people. And, yeah. and, and socially distance party on, dude. Yes, socially distanced party. All right. Take it easy, folks. We'll see you back. 